You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Hi everybody, Uh, we're reading uh, from the book of John chapter 1 starting at verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believed because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Christina. Hi, everyone. My name's Stu. I've been uh, at Darabin for a few years now. Um, It's my great privilege to be able to preach today. So uh, before we do that, before we look at God's word, I'll pray. So please pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see Christ clearer and give us hearts to adore him more. Uh, Help us to listen and help me to speak. Amen. Uh, Jesus is bigger than you think. That's my message for today. Jesus is bigger than you think. Uh, and if you look at um, the verses in front of uh, the verses that I'm preaching on today, um, John one, that's what verse fifty and fifty one says, isn't it? Jesus is greater than you think. That's what Jesus wants us to know. He's bigger. He's better. He's greater than we think. It's a simple message today. Our part is to come and see Him, as verse as verse forty six says, "Come and see. Come and look at Jesus." Uh, look at the life he lived and, and look at the life he's offering to us. So why do we need to hear this message, that Jesus is bigger than we think? Why do I need to hear this message? Why do I need to be brought into this, uh, into this life, this bigger vision of life that Jesus offers? Because the truth is, uh, I'm short-sighted. The temptation to look at myself and my own story is so strong in me. Uh, I've seen this in myself over the last couple of years more than ever. I've been really upset, really frustrated over the last couple of years, as most of us have. Now, why is that? Well, I could answer that in heaps of ways that make me sound far more pragmatic and noble than, than is reality. But the reality is far more selfish. The reason I've been so upset, so frustrated in the last couple of years is because my story has been disrupted. I've been prevented from living the life I wanted to live and achieving the things I've wanted to achieve. I've been prevented from writing my own story 
because my life is what captivates me. My story is the important story. I only see my story. I'm the main character in my story. And the realities of this life have been so much more apparent to me and the temptation has been to sink my roots into this world rather than seeing how my story is part of God's bigger story in history. I'm short-sighted and I look to my, my own life and my own little world that I'm trying to build here. I'm short-sighted. What about you? Are you short-sighted like me? Caught up with the grind of your life? Distracted by the pleasures of life? Settled in thinking that this life is all there is? We're all short-sighted, and our short-sightedness leads us to live small lives. It leads, leads us to live insular, enclosed lives where we put ourselves at the centre, where we think we have complete control. Being short-sighted inevitably leads us to living selfish lives. And so we all need to hear that Jesus is greater than he thinks, uh, greater than we think he is. His story is the one we need to be a part of. His story is the one we need to be captivated with, not our story. His story is the one we need to keep looking at. We need to see him clearer, in sharper definition. We need to be brought out of our short-sightedness. Christianity is about seeing. It's about beholding. And that's the language for today's passage. If you've got it in front of you, open up the the Darabin website, go to uh, the welcome page, the passage is there. The language for today's passage is about seeing. Come and see, come and look. So today I just want to be able to ask a few questions as we go through the passage. And they're in the outline on the welcome page. As we come and see Jesus, my questions for today are, what do you see? Second question, what does Jesus see? And the third question is, are you still looking? So let's jump into the, to the passage in front of us. The first question, what do you see? The story starts with Nathaniel. What does Nathaniel see? Look at verse 43 to 46 with me. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Uh, he found... Philip, uh, sorry, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So just a bit of context. Uh, Jesus is calling his first disciples. That's the second half of the um, of chapter 1 in John's Gospel. Jesus is pretty new to the scene. His following is still growing. Uh, So not everyone knows knows about him yet. He calls Philip. Philip follows. Philip then finds his mate Nathaniel and invites him to come meet Jesus. So what does Nathaniel see? At first, not much. 
Nathaniel being a good Jewish boy who knew his Old Testament, his idea of the Jewish Messiah was not what Philip had just described to him. He's not convinced of Philip's testimony. He's sceptical. And you see that in verse 45 and 46, don't you? Nathaniel knew that Messiah was written of in the Law and the Prophets, just like Philip said, but there was never anything mentioned about Nazareth. So Philip couldn't be right. Nathaniel's understanding of the Messiah was that when he'd come, he'd come from a place of far more significance than Nazareth. Nathaniel was comfortable in his idea of who the Messiah was meant to be. He had it settled in his mind. The Messiah couldn't be from Nazareth, nor could he be the son of a carpenter, Joseph. He was comfortable in his idea of who the Messiah was meant to be. And so he's simply invited by, uh, by Philip to come and see Jesus with him. Philip doesn't know everything about Jesus, but he knew enough and he wanted to explore Jesus with Nathaniel. And to Nathaniel's credit, he goes to have his preconceptions about the Messiah challenged. Now, we all have preconceived ideas about Jesus, don't we? About Christianity. What's the Jesus story according to you? What do you see when you look at Jesus? We all have a Jesus story, whether we're Christian or not. Whether we know about him or not, we all have our preconceived ideas about Jesus. You might have a moralistic view of who Jesus is. We've concluded that, or you may have concluded that, he was a great moral teacher. And therefore, we should adhere to his morals. Or we might have a picture of Jesus in our head that he's, he's just the ruler in the sky. So we conclude that if he's our ruler, then we're the subjects. And all we need to do is obey the ruler. If we don't agree, too bad. He's the boss. Well, maybe our guard is up when it comes to Jesus. We're suspicious of him. We're suspicious that if we actually were to follow him, it'd be a net loss for our life. Far from being life-giving like he promises, it'll actually be life-taking and draining. We're suspicious of Jesus. We're sceptical. We think that he's always got an angle with us. So maybe that's you. What do you see when you look at Jesus? I think our problem, even as Christians, is, is not that we think too highly of Jesus. It's that we think too little of him. We shrink him down to a size that we can manage, that we can control. And we don't like a Jesus who surprises us. Because that might mean we have to accommodate him in our lives. See, we're short-sighted when it comes to Jesus. Just like Nathaniel. He couldn't conceive of a Messiah coming from the dingy town of Nazareth. We're short-sighted with Jesus. We have a small view of him. And therefore, if we're Christian, we have a small view. If we have a small view of Jesus, then we've got a small view of our Christian life. We're satisfied with a church-on-Sunday kind of faith. Maybe a five-minute or 15-minute devotion here every, every now and then. But Jesus wants us to know that he's greater than we think he is. 
And we need our eyes opened. We need eyes to see what he's doing in us, in our church and in the world. And as we'll see as we keep going through this story in John, we'll see that Jesus offers us so much more. So I wonder today, right now, are you willing to have your picture of Jesus altered? Because Jesus is greater than we think he, than we think he is. We don't have him figured out. We don't have him nailed down completely. Are you ready to have, are you willing to have your picture of Jesus altered? Because that's what happens to Nathaniel. He's drawn in by Jesus. And he has his vision of him radically altered. So what do you see when you look at Jesus? Can I just grab my water, Shaz? Sorry, I'm a bit nervous. My mouth's getting a bit dry. So that was the first question. What do you see when you look at Jesus? The second question I've got for us today is what does Jesus see? What does Jesus see? So Nathaniel's invited to come and see Jesus. But the funny thing is, in verse 47, when Nathaniel's invited to come and see Jesus, it's actually Jesus who sees Nathaniel. Did you notice that? Look at the next couple of verses. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus sees Nathanael approaching. Jesus makes the first move. What does Jesus see when he looks at Nathanael? Well, it's a bit weird. He greets Nathanael as if he knows him. Verse 47. Look, here's an Israelite. There's no deceit in him. And Nathanael doesn't deny it. Apparently, it's true. Maybe for Nathanael, this was his reputation in the district. He's an honest man, a sincere man, a man who tells it as it is without deceit, a man who is faithful to his nation, Israel. He doesn't deny it. He says, yeah, you're right, Jesus. That's who I am, but how do you know that? What does Jesus see? He sees Nathaniel's public reputation. And not only that, Jesus sees Nathaniel's private life too. Jesus says in verse 48 that he saw Nathaniel before Philip called him while he was under the fig tree. Now, there's a lot that's been said about the significance of that statement. Uh, what the fig tree might represent, what exactly Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, how long before Philip called Nathaniel that Jesus is referring to. Uh, I think at the very least, uh, it was a private and profound moment for Nathaniel, a private and profound moment. Perhaps he was reading God's word, perhaps he was praying, perhaps he was in the midst of a crisis. But this is where Jesus sees Nathanael in this private and profound moment. What does Jesus see when he looks at Nathanael? 
He sees all of Nathaniel, public and private. He sees Nathaniel's story. He sees the person as a whole, not just the public appearance. And it's at this point in verse 49 that Nathaniel confesses Jesus as Rabbi, Son of God, and the King of Israel. It's at this point that he's convinced of what Philip told him, that he is the Messiah. When Nathaniel realises that Jesus sees all of him, he's brought completely undone and confesses who Jesus is. He throws himself on Jesus as his teacher, his king and the very son of God. What is Jesus? That's what Jesus sees when he looks at Nathaniel. What does Jesus see when he looks at you? When Jesus looks at your life, what does he see? Well, he sees all of you and all of me as well, the public and the private. Just as Jesus sees all of Nathaniel's life, so too does he see the reality of our lives. He sees the ideal lives that we're trying to build. He sees the heaven on earth that we're trying to build. He sees, our, he sees us living our short-sighted lives, building our own little heaven on earth, working in a nice little job, living in a nice little suburb, growing a nice little family, growing a nice little garden, storing up treasure on earth. Church on Sunday, because why not? Go th- going through the motions. And that's what we settle for. And that's what Jesus sees. He sees what we're settling for. He sees the stories we're telling about ourselves. The story that we, we're trying to write for ourselves. The name that we're trying to make for ourselves. The reputation we're trying to build for ourselves. But not only that, he sees the stuff we try to hide too. He sees the private the depths of who we are, the stuff we try to hide, the mess, the pain, the flaws, the cut corners, the bottled up rage. In short, when he looks at us, he sees the sin problem. Both the sin we commit and the sin committed against us. Jesus sees the real you and the real me. Jesus isn't short-sighted with us. He sees us all. And I wonder if, if we're okay with that. To be fully seen, are you okay with that? It's, it's a confronting thing to be fully seen, to be fully known. What does Jesus see when he looks at us? He sees us living small lives. He sees us in our short-sightedness. He sees the selfishness that stems from our short-sighted lives, the yearly plans that we make with no one else in mind but ourselves, the ways in which we're tight-fisted with our wealth and possessions, thinking that they will will earn us a reputation one day, the ways in which we tire tire ourselves out trying to be everyone else's saviour, trying to fix everyone else's problems so that we can feel good about ourselves. That's what Jesus sees. He sees all of us. The the selfish and ugly short-sightedness that exists within us. 
But thankfully, he doesn't stop at just seeing us as we really are. To be known but not loved is our worst nightmare. We're left exposed and vulnerable. But with Jesus, the invitation is to come and see his biggest story, to be drawn out of our short-sightedness, to come and see him, regardless of the fact that he sees all of our mess. Jesus doesn't invite us with the condition that we clean ourselves up first. It's precisely because he knows our mess and our need that he welcomes us to come and see him, to come and look at him. He invites us into something so much better than what our short-sightedness can, can offer, what our small lives can offer. He invites us to himself, to come be a part of his bigger story because he's greater than the small life you're building. He's greater than we think he is. So that was the second question. What does Jesus see? He sees the mess. He sees the real us. The last question is, are you still looking? Are you still looking? Look at verse 49. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. And then he added, verse 51, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Are you still looking? That's Jesus' invitation to Nathaniel, isn't it? In verses 50 to 51. Are you still looking, Nathaniel? You'll see greater things than this. Don't just believe because I proved to you that I know you. There are more important things to believe about me than that. I know you might have found that impressive, Nathaniel, but I came to be more than merely impressive. And then verse 51. It's totally bizarre what Jesus says, isn't it? You will see heaven open, and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what on earth is he talking about? Well, we've got to note his language. Jesus is using very particular language. The language of angels ascending and descending comes from a story in the Old Testament, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 28. If you want to flick to Genesis 28, you can. It's the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. Now, Jacob was a man who, unlike Nathaniel, was a deceitful man. There was deceit in him, and he proved it. He cheated his brother, his older brother, from his father's blessing. And he'd subsequently been on the run because his older brother wanted to kill him. He stole his father's blessing from his brother. So in Genesis 28, Jacob, this runaway, this cheating runaway, this deceitful man, finds himself sleeping alone in the cold outdoors with nothing but a pillow, uh, a rock for his pillow. Jacob was a man who took matters into his own hands, who wrote his own story, 
And yet look at this beautiful thing. Look at how the Lord deals with someone like Jacob. Jacob has a dream when he's sleeping in the desert. He sees a ladder reaching up to heaven and angels going up and down that ladder. And then God speaks in the dream. What does he say? He reaffirms his faithfulness to Jacob and his family. He confirms his promise to his family, despite who Jacob is. He deals gently with this cheating runaway. Jacob wakes up and he names the place Bethel, which means the house of God, because he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Angels going up and down, heaven open. He's saying to Nathaniel and to, to everyone who's listening, you remember that story in, uh, of Jacob's ladder? That's me. I am the new and better Bethel, the house of God. That's me. I'm the presence of God. I'm the link between heaven and earth. If you want to know God, you look at me. If you want to know what heaven is, look at me. Keep looking at me. Are you still looking at me? I am greater than you think I am. I'm here to offer you far more than what you're willing to settle for in this life. I'm here to draw you out of your short-sightedness, Nathaniel. Don't settle for this world when I'm offering you heaven. I'm offering heaven to you, Nathaniel. And he's saying this to us too. I'm offering you heaven because I'm offering myself to you. I'm not a mildly impressive man with a few tricks up my sleeve. My story is bigger and better than you think it is. You will see heaven opened. I'm bringing heaven to earth, bringing my beautiful and selfless light to you. Will you open yourself up to the life I'm offering you. Now, don't you love the language of seeing heaven opened? Isn't that the most exciting thing you could possibly hear? Isn't it such a relief to us? Don't we need heaven? When we see ourselves as Jesus sees us, we understand just how short-sighted we are and just how, how our lives just aren't working. And we need something other than our own resources to fix it. Something beyond us. We need something from above. We need heaven. And that's what he does. Not reluctantly, but willingly. He comes down from above. The eternal Son of God leaves his Father's side to enter the pit that we're all in. This is what he's all about. This is what Jesus is all about, bringing heaven to earth. He is the house of God. He is the presence of God. Now, I'm not sure what most of us think about what heaven's going to be like or what heaven is, but Jesus here seems to be saying that heaven is not so much a place, but a person. Heaven is the personal presence of God. 
When we see heaven opened, we see it in Jesus, in the face of Jesus. He brings heaven to earth. You will see heaven open. And we see that in the rest of the Gospel of John. Everything, every single thing Jesus does in the rest of the Gospel of John is him bringing his life, his heaven, to earth. To bring the life that he'd always been enjoying with his Father in heaven from the beginning. He's bringing that life to the world. The very next chapter in John chapter 2 Jesus brings life to a wedding party by ensuring that there's enough wine. The couple runs out of wine, that's a scandalous thing. Jesus protects these newlyweds from public shame. In chapter 4, Jesus brings spiritual life to a promiscuous woman, the outcast of society. He draws near to her and offers her life. In chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who's been paralysed For 38 years, he hasn't been able to walk. Jesus gives him legs to walk. He feeds the multitudes in chapter 6. He gives sight to the blind in chapter 9. He even raises the dead in chapter 11. Nothing Jesus does contributes to the pain we experience on earth. Can you even imagine a person like that? There's no person on this earth who is like this. Even the people we love most can grieve us the most and hurt us the most and cause us the most pain, but not Jesus. Everything he does brings his heavenly life to us. And this is the lens that we need to have when we're reading through the Gospel of John and the Bible more broadly. Everything Jesus does is opening up heaven before our very eyes. And not only in his life he lived, in the healings he did, in the signs he he performed, that's all bringing heaven, uh, heaven to earth. But most importantly and most clearly, we see him giving us his heavenly life Bringing us the heavenly, bringing the heavenly life to earth, we see it most clearly when we see him laying down his life in in behalf of us, when he's lifted up on the cross. Our ugly and selfish love, loves, is taken upon himself in his great act of beautiful selfless love. And in John's Gospel, the cross is referred to as the place where Jesus is glorified. This is his moment of glory. This is what he came to do. This shameful death on the cross is the great moment of Jesus' glory. And this is where you go. This is where we must go to see heaven opened. Have you come to see him at the cross? Are you still looking at him? When we come and see him, we come and see a man who knows everything about us and yet lay down his life for us that we might have his life. A life as one of his beloved, as the father's, one of the father's beloved children. 
where Jesus' sonship becomes our sonship, where his father becomes our father, and where his spirit becomes our spirit. When we come and see him, we're drawn out of our short-sightedness and we're given a greater vision of the life that we're living and the life that he's living through us. We come to see him and we don't stop looking. That's what the Christian life is. It's looking to Christ. It's about beholding him. It's about beholding, not behaving, not ticking the right boxes. Beholding him as he's revealed himself to us. Are you still looking at him? Will you come and see him? Because Jesus is greater than you think he is. I'm going to stop and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to uh, look at you more this year. We want to see your son, Jesus, more clearly this year. I pray that as we see your beauty more this year, that we'd cling less to the world, that we'd sink our roots into the eternal life you've given us. Give us eyes to see how you're at work, bearing your fruit in our lives and those around us and in the world. Help us to see beyond this life. Keep us from being short-sighted. Amen.